So I, I rode my bicycle for a year in 2010 uh, from uh, Canada to Colombia, and as part of that journey, I discovered that basically a billion people in the world didn't have uh, access to clean drinking water. So I began this journey and did some higher level education and been on a series of trips with my friends in the last six years. That's all led us to this, to this spot now where we've become very interested in a small scale uh, decentralized desalinization projects. It's really the future of water. Hi everyone and welcome to today's Beach Talk. I want to help us understand every word of God that's in the word of God. God has so many amazing things that he wants to show us and teach us every day. We'll just take the time to read and understand, apply it to our life. My objective is always the same. It's disciples making disciples who plant churches that plant churches. So <clears throat> in this way, Jesus could be a grassroots, go anywhere, anytime type of movement in and through our lives. <clears throat> now we're in Matthew 14 today. Jesus said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. And therefore, these powers are at work in him. Now, the fame and report of Jesus had spread around the region. Uh, Herod was known as um, Herod Antipas and was one of the sons of Herod, the gray who reigned when Jesus was born. Uh, now, Tetrarch literally means the ruler of a fourth part, but it came to be used quite generally as, as a subordinate ruler of a section of a country. Now, a tetrarch was lower than a king, but Antipas wanted to be recognized as a king and later asked the emperor for his title, but the emperor refused. Now, this was humiliation on his part, and he was sent into exile because of this. Now, Herod ruled over Galilee and therefore heard much about Jesus. His brother ruled to the south and Philip to the north. Now, in this way, it seemed unreasonable in retrospect, Herod's guilt and superstition led him to the fear that he had. Now, verse 3, Herod had laid out and bound John up in prison. Now, for the sake of his, of his brother's wife, he said, um, Now, it's not lawful for you to have her. You see, John had spoken up against Herod and his marriage. So, when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. So she was prompted by a mother and said, give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Now, having been told of the death of John the Baptist, Matthew will now explain to us how he died. It began when Herod imprisoned John for the bold rebuke of the king's sin, yet he did not immediately kill him because he feared the multitude. Now, John had spoken out, like I mentioned before, about Herod's marriage because he had illegally divorced his previous wife and then seduced and married his brother's wife. Um, and John had spoken out about this and said, this is wrong and that you shouldn't be doing this. So he had a personal vendetta, he had a grudge. 
Now, in speaking out against Herod and Herodias, there's the suggestion that John did this repeatedly, several times. It was moreover, perhaps, more than a passing remark. This was something that was publicly stated by him, indicating kind of like a campaign that John had taken up against him. Now, he had feared the multitude. Herod is like many people today. They fear the opinion of people before fearing God. The only thing that kept Herod from an even greater wickedness was the fear of man. Yet one must say that Herod seemed to fear his wife more than he feared the multitude because he had imprisoned John for the sake of Herodias. Now, she ruled at, she ruled him uh, completely. She had total authority over him. He did what she said. <clears throat> so Herodias' daughter shamelessly danced before him and friends winning favor and one request, she cashes in this request to ask for the head of John the Baptist. This means that she wasn't a little girl, she was a woman. And she was attractive enough to get their attention to get what she wanted. Now, the request of her daughter shows that the mother had planned this for some time. She knew that her husband, and she knew the situation, and she knew that she could get what she wanted out of this situation. She was shrewd enough to demand that it be done immediately while the guests were still at the party because Herod was afraid to go against his wife and he was also afraid to lose face in front of his friends. He did something that he definitely knew was wrong. But like most weak men, Herod feared to be thought weak. Now Herod had a terrible end. In order to take his brother's wife, he put away his first wife. She was from a neighboring kingdom. <clears throat> Her father was offended and came against him later on, defeating him in battle. And then his brother was accused of treason in Rome and he was banished to the distant Roman, Roman province of Gaul. And in Gaul, Herodias and his brother committed suicide. Now the disciples of John the Baptist honored his life and memory the best they could. He had lived and died as a great and righteous man. Now in verse 13, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to his deserted place by himself. And when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. Again, this was not from cowardice, but from an understanding of the Father's timing and also of prophetic timing. Jesus could escape the potential violence of Herod, but he could not escape the attention of the multitudes. Though both the religious and now the political leaders opposed Jesus, he was still popular with the multitudes. Now verse 14 and 16, and when Jesus went out and saw a great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away and they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away you give them something to eat. Now, the great compassion of Jesus for the multitude moved him to heal the sick and to teach them. Jesus did this all the way into the evening. His compassion for the demanding crowds was remarkable. Jesus and the disciples could have made many legitimate excuses. Like, I'm too tired. <laughs> this isn't the right place. It's not the right time. The people can take care of themselves. Anyone who's been a leader know how, knows how excuses can play with your head. <laughs> Yet Jesus 
had compassion on them nonetheless. Charles Spurgeon said, the original word uh, is very expressive. His whole being was stirred to his lowest depth. And this is where the miracles came from. Now Jesus challenged both the compassion and the faith of the disciples, yet he did not ask them to do anything to meet the need without guiding them through the work. Both Jesus and the disciples were aware of the great multitude and aware of their needs, yet it was the compassion of Jesus and his awareness of the power of God that let him go to feeding the multitude. The people are hungry and the empty religion offers them a ceremony, empty words that don't satisfy. The people are hungry and atheists and skeptics try to convince them that they aren't hungry at all. The people are hungry and religious showmen give them, you know, something to make themselves feel good about. The people are hungry and they're entertained with louder and better graphics, but they're not getting satisfied. The people are hungry. Who will give them the bread of life? Who will feed people spiritually? This is our job. It's our responsibility. The theme of the sermon was that if there was no need for these casual hearers, Jesus depart, there's even less reason for the follower of Jesus to go away from continual communion and fellowship with Jesus. You see, circumstances don't need to make us go away. You won't have things so hard or easy that you don't need Jesus. There is nothing in Jesus that would make you want to go away. There's nothing in the future that will that you need to go away from. Verse 17 through 19, and they said to him, we have only here five loaves and two fish. And he said to them, bring them to me. Then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. <clears throat> and he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. These were obtained from a little boy among the crowd. John 6, it's much to the credit of the disciples that they themselves traveled light without carrying a lot of food for themselves. They trusted Jesus to make sure they were provided for. This command suggests that this was more than just putting food in their stomachs. This could be done standing up. The idea was that there was a bit of a banquet-like atmosphere of enjoyment. Jesus blessed the Father for the food that he did have. Now, he may have prayed a familiar Jewish prayer before a meal. Blessed art thou, Jehovah, our King, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Now, this miracle displays Jesus' authority over creation, yet he insisted on doing the miracle through the hands of the disciples. He could have done it directly, but he wanted to use the disciples. No one knew where this bread actually came from. Jesus showed us that God can provide out of resources that we cannot see or perceive in any way. It's easier to have faith when we think we know how God might provide, but God often provides in unexpected ways. Verse 20, they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 basketfuls of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten there were about 5,000 men. Besides women and children, not only was God's provision abundant, but God also did not want leftovers to go to waste. Therefore, they took measures to preserve what was left over, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now, William Barclay said, God's generous giving and our wise using must go hand in hand. 
Now, the number of 5,000 men suggests a total perhaps of 15 to 20,000 when women and children are included in the count. Now, the prominent part of this story recorded in every gospel shows that both the Holy Spirit and the early church thought this story was important and important as more than an example of the miraculous power of Jesus. It shows that Jesus could feed the people of God even as Israel was fed in the wilderness. There was a common expectation that, um, that the Messiah would restore the provision of manna, and this adds to the messianic credentials of Jesus. It shows that Jesus had compassion and care for the people of God, even when we might have expected his patience would be exhausted. It shows that Jesus chose to work through the hands of the disciples, even when it was not essential to immediate result. <clears throat> and it shows a preview example of the great messianic banquet that the Messiah will enjoy with his people. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 also gives us three principles regarding God's provision. Thank God for and wisely use what we have, trust God's unlimited resources, and don't, don't waste what he gives you. <laughs> now, verse 22 through 24, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had seen the, sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was violent. Jesus felt it was important for he and his followers to leave the area quickly, perhaps to avoid the multitudes wanting to come along. <laughs> Therefore, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat at, or compelled them to. There were several reasons why Jesus did this. He did this because, well, he wanted to be alone to pray. He did this because he wanted to escape the crowd and get some rest because he had the limits of a physical body and because he wanted the crowd to disperse so he could avoid a, an uproar. Now, we're told that the crowd responded uh, to their miraculous feeding with a rush of expectation. If the disciples shared this enthusiasm, uh, perhaps sensing that now was the time to openly promote Jesus as the Messiah, then it was more important than ever for Jesus to get the disciples away from the excited crowd. Fame will do that to you. Jesus was jealous for time alone with God in the midst of this great ministry to others. He did not, he could not neglect prayer. You see, secret prayer fats the soul as secret morsels make our bodies fat. <laughs> now, the Sea of Galilee was known for its violent storms. Storm. Now, this water must have been quite a shock to the disciples. They were indeed troubled. They cried out for fear. Jesus didn't come to the disciples to trouble them or to make them afraid. Therefore, he immediately spoke to them concerning these words. Um, he said, one reason may be that the problem is not nearly as bad as one had thought. Perhaps you're afraid because you exaggerate the danger. The other reason is that even though the problem may be real, there's an even greater solution and help at hand. Verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come, and Peter had come down out of the boat. He walked on the boat, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, 
Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Now we have no idea what prompted Peter to ask such a question, but his faith in Jesus was remarkable. He responded to Jesus' invitation and got out of the boat. This is a great picture of what walking in faith is. Peter was able to do the miraculous things as long as he looked at Jesus, as long as he kept his eyes on him. When Peter failed, Jesus was there to save him. Peter knew who to call out of the moment of crisis. Jesus brought Peter back to the boat. Once he was rescued, this little faith led to doubt and distraction that made Peter sink under the wind and the waves. Peter here shows us the weakness of little faith. Little faith is often found in places where we might expect great faith. Little faith is far too eager for signs. Little faith shows that we have too high of an opinion of ourselves. Little faith is affected sometimes by our surroundings or just exaggeration. Little faith is really small. <laughs> Little faith will obey the word of Jesus. Little faith struggles to come to Jesus. Little faith will accomplish great things for a time. Little faith will pray when it's in trouble. Little faith is safe because Jesus is near. Jesus only asked this question once Peter was rescued. Yet at this point, it was an entirely reasonable question to ask, why did Peter doubt? Doubt is literally to be divided between two. It's being double-minded. Now, if on a former occasion, we have found God to be faithful to his promises, Jesus was trying to remind Peter that he was always faithful to the things that he said he was going to do. That is why he said to Peter, I do not want you to doubt. You can trust me and trust my word every single time. Sometimes we have a logical reaction considering our faith. And it causes us to sink, just like Peter did. In verse 34, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch his garment. Now the Gospel of John tells us that this crossing over was miraculous, and Jesus got into the boat with them. Now miraculously, the boat was instantly carried over to the other side. Even Jesus' garment provides an important point of contact with their faith, like Paul's sweatbands and axe, or Peter's shadow in Acts 5, Jesus' garment provided a physical object that helped them to believe God for healing at that moment. Now this wraps up our time looking at this um, chapter of Matthew today. I always like to end my beach talks with a chance to pray, to get a fresh start with God. I ask God for a fresh start every day. I always say, Lord, give me a fresh start, fresh thoughts. Help me to start doing some things today. Help me to stop doing some things today. Maybe you'd like to pray with me right now and say, God, give me that fresh start. Jesus, and as always, have a beautiful day.
Thank you for your time. We would love to partner with you. Uh, water is a global problem. It's going to take as many partners as we can to help solve this problem. We'd love for you to partner with us. If you could go to our website at www.oceanwater.com. That's O-C-N-W-T-R.com. We'd love that. Thanks so much.